I'm Scott. And I'm Jason. Welcome to Skipped On Shuffle, a podcast where we delve into an overlooked song by a popular artist. Today we're going to go over the song A Strange Day by The Cure off their 1982 album Pornography. This episode came as a recommendation uh, from one of our listeners, Todd. So thank you for for picking a cool band and especially one that I know very little about. Um, so it was fun to kind of delve into The Cure and kind of listen to them. I'm not really sure why they never kind of made it on my music radar. I mean, I know Friday, I'm in Love, uh, one of their, their big hits. Um, and I was listening through their greatest hits and listening through... Uh, this album, uh, where strange day comes from pornography and trying to kind of like get a grasp on the band and, and figure it out. So it's always fun to kind of listen to something that you, you never have, even though this is a pretty major band, um, not only in their own right, but also a band that inspired a lot of later bands. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, when when we first started making Skip Down Shuffle, we we made like a pretty extensive list of the bands that we eventually wanted to cover. We didn't have any songs, but we just like be like, oh, we want to do a song by this band, and do a song by this band. And uh, I can't remember, but I think we might not have put The Cure on the list. At least I don't remember putting it on. And since I'm more of The Cure fan out of the two of us, I'm assuming I would have put it on. But I don't think I did. So yeah, when, I mean, we easily had a list of uh, yeah. 100 plus. It's funny that yeah, yeah. It's just I don't know why I didn't put it there. So uh, but yeah, but Todd, uh, one of our listeners, sent in an email saying, hey, I really want you guys to do some some stuff, and it would be really cool if you did The Cure. And uh, yeah. And and I think I, Todd actually said that this album, Pornography, is his favorite album. So it's pretty cool that we're we're doing this. So anyway, yeah, I, I think uh, I've 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 been a Cure fan for a long time, um, uh, but I started with Disintegration, which is you know their their biggest selling record with a lot of their most popular songs on it. Um, one of their most easily accessible records. It's got you know a lot of longer and kind of like a drawn out weird songs, but still with like a very stable pop sensibility that makes them you know easy to hum along to and there's lots of melody and um whereas this album is is as we're going to get into is not really that this is a very very difficult album with a controversial title and um you know weird structures that don't really go anywhere and it almost sounds like a complete lack of (laughs) yeah it's, it's kind of like one long drone of a record uh which can be you know for a certain type of audience it can be something that they really get into and they can like get into a certain like emotional zone. But I think for most casual listeners, this is an album that they would, you know, within 10 minutes of listening to it, be like, I, I am not going to listen to the rest of this album. I mean, it's pretty surprising. Um, when you, you, you think of disintegration, which is another one that I, I listened to in preparation for this, just the contrast between oh, yeah. this and pornography is shocking <laughs> yeah and we're, we're gonna get into that but so so let's let's uh let's uh talk a little bit about the cure's history and and how the band came to be which is a little convoluted but we'll try and simplify it as best as we can so uh yeah let's uh let's let's dig into that right now as he plays on his knees, as he plays 
Cure started in uh, England in 1973, although they weren't called The Cure at the time. There was a uh, three uh, kids uh, in, in middle school, young, um, that got together and formed a band called Obelisk. One of the members of this band was Robert Smith, who is the uh, only member of The Cure to stay in the band the entire time from beginning to end. Uh, he is now the lead vocalist and guitarist and primary songwriter. But at the time, in 1973, when this when this band first started getting together, he was just a guitar player uh, where, you know, there were other uh, members that came and went uh, that kind of like, you know, took on different roles in, in the group. Uh, but so it wasn't until later that Robert Smith became uh, the, the, the front man and, and iconic, uh, you know, look of, of The Cure. Um, but in... In 1973, you know, the, the beginnings of the band officially begin with Obelisk. In 1976, Obelisk uh, reforms as a group called Malice. And then in 1977, that group becomes a group called Easy Cure. Uh, at this point, Robert Smith is 17 years old. Uh, you know, young guy trying to find his, his way through music and trying to figure out what his, you know, what his, his songwriting sounds like and what kind of band he wants to be in and, and all that. Uh, Easy Cure signs a record deal with a German label uh, shortly thereafter, shortly after they changed their name to Easy Cure. Uh, but the signing doesn't go anywhere. Uh, according to Robert Smith, the uh, the German label really wanted them to sound like a teen pop group and encouraged them to do a lot of cover songs and encouraged them to sound a certain way. And uh, as we'll get into later, um, that was not going to fly with with this with this band. So that la- uh, that album or that uh, that deal with uh, with the German label kind of fell through and didn't go anywhere. Anywhere. Um, in 1978, shortly after Smith's 18th birthday, um, the band switches lineups again and settles on uh, just simply being called The Cure. Uh, they head into a studio, or I guess they, you know, they record a demo tape. It wasn't in an actual studio, but they 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 do some recording and uh, record a demo tape, and that demo tape makes it into the hands of an A and R agent uh, from an album uh, from a label called Fiction. Uh, and this is a small label and doesn't really have much reach, but they have a distribution deal through Polydor, which is a large label. So they're able to, you know, get, get radio play and get their albums in stores and all that. After signing the deal with Fiction, The Cure head into the studio to record their first single, Killing an Arab. It was not, uh, as one would expect, not a reference to murder or racism in any way, but it was actually a reference to a book called The Stranger by a French writer named Albert Camus. The song's title, you know, earned the band some some press because it was, you know, a uh, pretty, pretty hot button topic of, 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 a, of a song. The single did really well as a result because the band got some, 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 some notoriety through that. There's, you know, that old saying that, you know, there's no such thing as bad publicity, especially at this stage in the game for a band. So, uh, so yeah, Killing an Arab did, did pretty well. Um, and, and set the, the stage for the band to record their first record, which, uh, was called Three Imaginary Boys. Um, the band was not a fan of the album. They felt that they had to record it too quickly and they felt that they were pressured to sound a certain way and do certain things. Um, and so they kind of 
you know, banged that record out and did a tour and did their thing. And, and that was that. But uh, but Three Imaginary Boys did pretty well. They they were able to, um, you know, get some clout, get some, some more industry cred uh, through that. Um, and then uh, after the release of Three Imaginary Boys, the band released a, a, another single called Boys Don't Cry. Uh, and this is one of those songs that pretty much everybody has at least heard probably once or heard referenced at some point in their life because, you know, it's kind of like a, a song that kind of sums up what The Cure does all in one. But I know that this time I have said too much, been too unkind. I try to laugh about it. After the release of the Boys Don't Cry, uh, the band went on a, a tour as the supporting act for uh, Suey and the Banshees, which is a popular punk rock band of the time. And uh, halfway through the tour, the guitarist for the Banshees actually quit and Robert Smith took over. So for most of the tour, Robert Smith was playing in The Cure as the opening act and then basically just staying on stage where the, the headlining act came out and then played with them. And uh, playing with the Banshees changed the sound of The Cure uh, in a lot of ways and also changed the um, the approach that the band had to writing their music and and how they wanted the sound and everything like that. So uh, so this was like a pretty seminal moment for the band when they when they did this tour. Um, with the success of Boys Don't Cry as a single and the tour that they were doing, uh, they actually re-released their first record, Three Imaginary Boys, in the United States and titled the album Boys Don't Cry. They reworked the track list a little bit and did some some you know some reworking on some things, but in, in, in all intents and purposes, it's the same album with just some thrown to get. You you know, thrown together new artwork and, and all that. Um, so that got them into the United States and that was actually pretty successful there too. So at the same time, the band goes into the studio to record their second record called 17 Seconds. And uh, with this one, the band had a lot more creative control and uh, earned more critical and commercial success as compared to the first record. Uh, but the first record had just been re-released in the United States. So really the band was touring behind two records at this time. Uh, the highlight of 17 Seconds is is the lead single uh, called A Forest, which was particularly successful and uh, set the tone for The Cure's gloomy gothic sound. the band enters the studio again to record their third album which is called Faith uh, this album went even further into the doom and gloom mood of the second record um, Faith's lead single was the song Primary which has an up-tempo feel but is uh, kind of the anomaly for the rest of the album
1982, the band started work on their fourth record, Pornography, which is the album that A Strange Day appears on. Uh, the album saw the band deliberately trying to make a bleak, uh, depressing, you know, really difficult to listen to album. Um, we're going to talk more about like what was going on with the internal band struggles and, and, and all that in a bit, but, but basically the band enters the studio deliberately trying to make a dark, depressing record that, uh, that probably wouldn't do that well commercially, but they were more concerned with making an artistic statement at the time. Um, so that was the result of pornography. But, um, after pornography was released, the album was not received well at all. It did all, it did all case commercially, um, probably on the back of the fact that the band had such a huge following at the time. Um, but really critically it was destroyed. Like a lot of critics said that there was, you know, it was just flat out bad or it was too depressing or was too dark it was too moody uh there was no hit singles on it you know all that so this kind of represents a turning point for the band where uh they they have to sort of decide like okay well do we break up and do we uh move on with our lives after this you know crushing defeat in the press or do we regroup and and try new things or or what you know what are the next steps so um after the release of pornography um smith ends up uh sort of putting the band on hiatus and does some other stuff. And then he gets back together with, with the cure as, as an entity, but not with the band members themselves and ends up releasing an album. That's like a weird psychedelic, I don't know, almost like an experimental album called the top, um, which also does really well commercially considering the fact that it's basically just Robert Smith in the, in the band, you know, recording and playing all the instruments and doing pretty much everything. Um, but it is okay. But once again, probably just because once again, the cure is, is fairly popular at this time. And so pretty much anything they release is going to do pretty well. Then in 1985, the band released a, a proper cure album called the head on the door, which featured the hit single close to me. After the success of The Head on the Door and the return to the, you know, traditional Cure sound, uh, in 1987, the band released an album called Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, uh, which features probably one of the band's best known songs, Just Like Heaven. After the release of Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, the band released what would become its biggest selling album, which is called Disintegration. This album features The Cure's best known single, which is Love Song, which I guarantee you've heard at some point in your life.
release of Disintegration, the band is touring huge places, uh, including a sold-out show at Wembley Arena and playing stadiums in the United States. Uh, the band is just enormous at this time because Disintegration is just a a massive selling album with big singles and really puts the cure into the upper echelons of music and, and pop music in general. Unfortunately, Disintegration ended up being kind of the peak of, of The Cure. Uh, afterward, the band released Wish, which featured the very popular song, Friday, I'm in Love. I don't care if Monday's blue, Tuesday's gray and Wednesday too. Thursday, I don't care about you, it's Friday. Although Friday I'm in Love was a was a big hit, and uh, you know chances are you've heard it before, and 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 put the Cure even more into the upper echelons of 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 music in that time period. Uh, it it failed to do as well as as anything off of Disintegration, and uh, the other albums that followed after Wish, uh, including Wild Mood Swings, Blood Flowers, a self titled record, and finally 413 Dream in 2008 all fail to match the success of their previous work, um, both critically and commercially. Um, but what we're going to do is we're going to go back. Let's go back to uh, pornography and talk about what the band was going through at the time and why A Strange Day from that album is such a notable piece that people should probably check out. <laughs> We hope you're enjoying this episode of Skipped On Shuffle. Right about now, in most podcasts, you'd be hearing an ad for something, uh, but we are trying to keep Skipped On Shuffle ad-free, and the way we're going to be able to do that is through Patreon. Please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash skippedonshuffle. Any donations go to support the costs associated with running this podcast. The album we're talking about today by the cure pornography is a dark album it is kind of as we mentioned a little difficult to get through and a lot of that is just due to the sound of it which is um these heavy drums this kind of droning synth in the background of every song there's not a lot of um elements in here that kind of separate out the tracks so if you're just kind of throwing it on and listening to it from beginning to end. If, if you're not paying close attention, you might not realize like, oh, this is a different song now because Robert Smith isn't doing a lot of melody stuff. It's just him kind of almost reading lines of like this dark brooding poetry um, with just heavy reverb drums banging away in the background. 
Um, guitar is kind of creeping through here or there. And yeah, these synths in the background just kind of like droning through. And that's pretty much the the formula for nearly every song uh, on this record. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like one really long song. You know, like the album is is like 45 minutes long and it almost feels like you press play and then for 45 minutes you're hearing one drone of a song from beginning to end. And and that can be really tough. I can I can understand why, you know, a casual music listener who's used to like, you know, three and a half minute long pop songs that all have like a, you know, beginning, middle and end and, you know, choruses and vocal uh, and uh, choruses and verses and, you know, maybe a guitar solo or whatever. Um, they could they could kind of be put off by by how dense this this album is um and and like i mentioned before critics that's how they felt like they were like this album is eh, this is not that good um but uh now listening to it you know today with like uh, an eye for like what was going on with the band at the time and then an idea of like where the band is going from here it's a little easier to listen to um and i also think it's easier to listen to if you're more of a seasoned music listener like you said you you said if you're not paying attention the album kind of you know appears as like bleh, you know like yeah as, as we were talking about this album i the the best comparison we made is to some of nine inch nails's um material where uh things like if you're listening to even something super popular like downward spiral yeah there there are moments in there where you just kind of get lost in how just dark and heavy that album can be um, and if you're not kind of paying attention, you're like, was that a song? Was that like, <laughs> what was, what was going on there? Um, cause, cause it's a little bit of the, the same thing where, um, the cure kind of has this distinctive style and sometimes so much of that style repeated throughout every song makes it a little bit hard to, to kind of tell things apart when there's not. Um, some kind of standout yeah. element, whatever it is, whether it's a particular riff or, um, you know, some kind of repeated chorus. I mean, this, this has those elements, but they're so buried in, in the production almost, um, where it, it's kind of hard to describe where, where you just kind of have to, to listen to the album. And, um, it, it's almost like you're just sort of like, whenever whenever you're like swimming and you put your head underwater yeah that's, it, actually, that, yeah, yeah. that's that's kind of what yeah. this album sounds like if somebody was like playing music above and maybe some of you know you can you can kind of hear it when you're in the water but it sounds just washy and and mixed up yeah uh it's kind of what at least the feeling that I got sitting in and listening to this thing. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a good way of putting it. Um, yeah, but I think what's, what's most important is, is that at this point in the, the band's career, um, you know, they've had, they've had some success, um, but they are kind of finding that themselves, uh, you know, even even back then, you know, an indie band with some indie cred, uh, they're kind of like expected to look a certain way, act a certain way, uh, sound a certain way, you know, and if they don't, then the very fickle music listening masses will quickly move on to the next big thing and, and pass them over. And, uh, and The Cure was getting increasingly frustrated with how they were supposed to be what they were called this anti-image band, basically being like, we are image, you know, like the, the look of the band is 
anti that. Like we're just not interested in doing anything that resolve, revolves around having like a look or a feel or an image of, 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 of what we are. And uh, the band sort of embraced that at the beginning and then became more and more frustrated with it as time went on. And so this album was when the band started like dressing all in black and having weird hairstyles and, and Robert Smith started wearing lipstick and makeup and stuff like that. And, uh, and started to look really fucking creepy. You know? <laughs> and they just, they just became this very, like they started to look the way that they sounded. And, and that was a huge deal for, you know, for every disaffected youth across all, you know, across the world who, you know, dresses in a lot of black and, and ascribes to a, like, you know, what we call now today, the Gothic culture and the Gothic sound. But really like that starts here. Like that's, this is where that whole idea starts to, to, to gestate. And the reason that it happens because the band was, was miserable. Like they were miserable. They were working way too hard. They were working really fast and they were touring all the time. They were doing lots and lots of drugs. They were drinking drinking a lot. They were fighting a lot. It was just, uh, you know, a horrible time to be in the cure. And uh, Robert Smith cited numerous times that he was absolutely, totally 100% suicidal during this time. And uh, the band kind of made a decision. They were like, we're going to make a record that represents what we are at this moment. And to do that, we're going to have to dive deep and we're going to have to go dark and we're going to have to really say some some depressing stuff and uh and so like you're saying like this album is very difficult to listen to and and that's true and the reason that is is because the band deliberately said we're gonna make an album that's really really difficult to listen to So we picked a strange day because we felt like this album, this song, could have been a, a single from this album. It only had one single, which was "The Hanging Garden," um, which I guess maybe might be a little bit catchier than this one. But I feel like production-wise, um, they did some a, a couple of things on the song that make it a little bit um, easier to get into than some of the other songs on the record. Um, one of those things is if you put it on, it's, it's a little bit more predictable than the other songs where you hear this keyboard synth going in the background, basically playing the same three chords over and over and over again, um, which kind of mimics the, the structure of the song, which is basically three stanzas, um, that end with, I guess you could call it a chorus. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, and, and again, it's the production that kind of emphasizes when that chorus comes in because it kind of sounds like Robert Smith just reading words off a page. Um, but when the, the repetition of the chorus comes in, there's this kind of echo effect on his voice that makes at least that part of the, the song stand out a little bit more. Um, so there are things in there in, in, in the production that I think they tried to do to, to make it somewhat listenable that maybe if you had a different producer or if you, you know, had a different mentality about the album, you would have, emphasize some of those elements a, a little bit more, I think, to make it um, make some of those things stand out a little bit more. Um, there's also this kind of riff that repeats in there and has a few variations. So it has all the elements you would expect to have in, in a single, some kind of riff or hook, 
uh, some kind of repetitive chorus and a recognizable structure that you can get into. Despite having all those things in there, um, it's still not exactly single friendly or or listener friendly. I think a lot of that is due to just kind of the the brooding morose lyrics that that we listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I think I think uh, you know. I don't think the the lyrics to this song really speak to me in a certain way. Like, I mean, I feel like there's um, there are definitely some Cure songs out there that that really resonate with me lyrically. Where I I say to myself, "Yeah, that's right." Like, I totally identify with what you're trying to say, Robert. Um, but I think that for this song, "A Strange Day," and and most of the songs on pornography in general, I feel like the 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 dark gothic kid in your high school this is the stuff that he was, you know, that he was listening to. This is the, the lyrics that really resonated with him. I mean, I mean, you've got some, you've got some lyrics in here that just sound like, you know, no, no offense to Robert Smith sounds like they're, bad, dark. Yeah. They're not good. <laughs> yeah. Bad, dark poetry from, you know, the high school goth kid. Like, you know, so the sun is humming. My head turns to dust as he plays on his knees and the sand and the sea grows I close my eyes, move slowly through drowning waves, going away on a strange day. You know, you know, this is it's all good. Like, you know, I I get the idea of 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 being, you know, the dark, depressed goth kid. Like, I get that. I wasn't the dark, depressed goth kid, but I was kind of close to being the dark. I mean, I knew a lot of a lot of those people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. those that those were my people. You know, like I wasn't with the jocks, and I wasn't with the 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 drama kids, and I was, you know, I wasn't with the nerds. I was like, you know, kind of the dark outcast, but not quite this much of a dark outcast and uh but i understand why somebody in their teens or even their early 20s like you know who's gone through some stuff in their life and maybe had like a little bit of a of an outcast status for whatever reason i can understand why they would identify with lyrics like these and, yeah and i can understand why this album is probably really 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 important to those people and um and and i think that that's great like i i think it's so cool when when people are kind of pushed aside in society for whatever reason and when those people can collectively get get together and say like this works for us like this is our thing we're taking it and we're gonna run with it and i think that's why the cure is so popular or and became so popular at this point in time is because they really they tapped into you know without without trying to be super capitalist about it but they tapped into a market that wasn't really getting tapped into at the time by writing these these very dark depressing songs I think too we need to remember that they are in their early twenties as they're making this record. Um, so I think you know any, anybody looking back as <laughs> in in your youth, I feel like uh, I, th- at least this is the case for me and most people I talk to. Like as you get older, you're like things get a lot better than when you're, <laughs> than when you're like in high school or you know in your early twenties. You have a lot more more things figured out. Um, so I feel like that's something we kind of need to remember looking back on this band is you're used to probably um, thinking about the cure of, you know, the love song or Friday, I'm in love. Yeah. Uh, rather than going back to, you know, this band basically struggling with a lot of uh, personal addictions and, and other things going on that I think you forget, like, oh, these are essentially kids. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah. They're, 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 you know, they have a little bit of experience under your belt, but, um, you know, they it's tough. It's, you know, tough when you're trying to make ends meet, especially making a career out of 
you know, music and, uh, as you mentioned, you know, not wanting to sort of play by the rules because this is a band coming out of like a very punk, you know, it's, it's a post-punk era. Um, and there's a lot of bands similar to them in terms of, uh, using keyboards, synthesizers. We, we you have a band like Depeche Mode right, that yeah. is, you know, starting out around this time, writing very catchy, you know, pop tunes where, um, you could see why they might be conflicted because it's like you're being pushed in a certain direction by the record industry, but you firmly kind of believe this approach that you're taking. And as you mentioned, you know, realizing, you know, there's, it's not just me. There's a, there's a market for this. There are other people who feel this way. Right. And I don't want to change because I, I feel like I'm connecting to that, whether I'm, you know, writing these lyrics and just kind of talking to myself and expressing myself, but also I assume recognizing there are other people out there who are, you know, going through rough times that will listen to this record and know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. I think that knowing that, like, I think, you know, for that young goth kid who maybe is going through a really tough time, maybe abusing drugs or alcohol, you know, maybe suicidal, maybe depressed, maybe all sorts of things dealing with mental illness, whatever, you know, when they hear this song or this album and see this band on stage and say like, that is, you know, this is a representation of what I'm going through. That's that can be really cathartic, you know. And I think that's why the Cure has such a passionate fan base is because for a lot of if you go to any Cure show, you know, and you look around the sea of people that you see there, you know, you're probably going to be able to say like I bet you 50% of these people like this band saved their lives at one point in their life like at one point in their life they were in a dark place they popped on a cure record they dealt with their demons they worked it out they felt empowered by the fact that there was another person out there who could express what they were trying to say but you know in musical form and that got them through it and i think that's that's really cool and, and like i said like this isn't my personal story like i didn't actually go through this but like I can totally see how somebody could do that. And and even though these lyrics are particularly, you know, tough to read and tough to sort of get my head around, I can easily see how somebody could say like this is this is this saved my life. As I mentioned at the top of the episode, I wasn't very familiar with The Cure. I knew a, a couple of the hits, um, and I'm not sure why that is. I feel like I missed out on a lot of the 80s rock bands while I was growing up, and I don't know if that was... I mean, in, in when I was in middle school, high school at the time, it's like mid-late 90s, well, probably late 90s. You know, there there was this kind of mentality, this this anti-electronic mentality. I think as like a lot of uh, rock bands started incorporating like keyboards or other things that didn't before. And I I, I don't I don't know if you remember that kind yeah, of. Yeah, no, I, I totally th- remember. Th- yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's hard to like articulate now, but there there was 
kind of this feeling like, no, a band is like real instruments with, I mean, there's people who still feel this way today. Oh yeah. So I mean like if, if Nirvana walked out on stage and had a keyboard player, like they, it would have, it would have been front page news of Rolling Stone. Yeah. So I, 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 yeah. So I remember that kind of like movement happening. Not that I like bought into it, but I feel like it kind of made me shy away from, I think bands that just delved headfirst into, into using like a lot of electronic stuff. So I was very much a like, gotta, gotta have, you know, real drums and real (laughs) guitar. And, um, so I, I think that might be part of the reason why I didn't listen to the cure. Um, and also my introduction to who Robert Smith was, was kind of a weird one. Um, because if anyone remembers back to the very first season of South Park, Robert Smith makes a guest appearance. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of, I, I, I won't get into the episode. It's like got these Godzilla references and Robert, <laughs> yeah. And Robert Smith transforms into like this flying moth character that fights <laughs> Uh, uh, Barbara Streisand as like this Godzilla. It's very weird. Um, <laughs> but that was my introduction to Robert Smith because it was like guest star Robert Smith. And I was like, who is this guy? So, you know, you get, get on, you know, you Google Robert Smith and you look at a picture of Robert Smith and you're like, what? <laughs> what is this? If you, for, for those of you listening who haven't seen Robert Smith, you absolutely should Google Robert Smith and get a look at. He, he's just a very weird guy. Yeah, so he's got this, this black hair kind of going in all different directions, smudged lipstick and makeup on. So you know, as as you know, a, a, a high school kid, you're just kind of like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> and and I and and you know, I think I think I was just like, I, I don't I don't know about this. Maybe maybe I'll revisit this later. Yeah. Um, but I think that was, you know, part of the reason why I just never kind of got into the cure because anytime, you know, it, it, it would come up, it, you know, I'm like, oh, that that weird guy who probably writes that, you know, very strange, dark music. I at least knew kind of what they were um, as a band uh, being connected to kind of that that goth goth emo moment. Um, and I think that was another thing that kind of turned me off when there was um, that resurgence of these emo rock bands that had been inspired by The Cure, um, like My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy and stuff like that, um, where I heard it and didn't like it. And knowing that their, you know, one of their inspirations was The Cure made me think, like, clearly The Cure isn't a band that I'm going to enjoy. So... I think it was a lot of those things that kept me kind of away from this band for a while. But from what we discussed when we were developing the, the you know, the, uh, what we were going to talk about for this rec- uh, for this, for this episode, you, you, you really like this record though. This, this is, I lo- yeah, I, I, I love this album Yeah, uh, and, and it's just weird to have a band that you have never listened to and just pick a record and not even like the most popular or yeah, like yeah, accessible no, record and yeah. really get into it. And no, that's kind of a cool thing. And I think that's also, um, not only exciting to kind of listen to a new band that has a lot, but I'll probably end up probably, I'm guessing 10 years down the road, remembering a lot of this moment in time because we make a lot of our memories and connections listening to, to music, especially something new. Um, Cause I, I, I read somewhere like a, a good suggestion is if you're ever visiting, um, you know, going on a trip somewhere, going to a new place, take some music with you that you haven't listened to. Huh. Because when you listen to it during that trip, whenever you put that album on again or You'll those songs again, you, it'll help you more vividly huh. remember those things. So I just keep thinking probably like five, ten years down the road, I'll throw this album on and be thinking of like this moment in time. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I think, just kind of a, a cool thing. 
like I said at the top of the episode, I'm, you know, I'm a pretty big Cure fan. Um, but I will admit, you know, I, I will uh, give my indie cred a little bit of a of a nudge and say that I, I did not like this record when I first heard it. When I first heard it, I, I had been listening to Disintegration, and uh, this this record was too it was too dark for me. It was too it was too much of a drone. It was too much of a slog, and I wasn't ready to put in the effort that you needed to put into to really get into it. And uh, you know, I owned it. And it was on my CD shelf and I barely listened to it. And uh, I didn't really have much of a connection to it at all until Robert Smith uh, put together a Cure show called uh, the, the, the Trilogy Shows, uh, where the band played Pornography, Disintegration, and their 2000 album Blood Flowers uh, from front to back. All three albums. So the band came out, they played Pornography, they left the stage, they came back, they played Disintegration, they left the stage, they came back, they played uh, blood flowers. And, uh, the reason that they did this is because Robert Smith had seen David Bowie, uh, play and David Bowie had done a similar thing where he played a lot of his older material, uh, specifically from his Berlin trilogy, uh, era, which, you know, we won't go into. That's a whole other, <laughs> that's a whole other episode there. Um, uh, uh, and he played that. And then he also played from front to back, his newest record, which at the time was Heathen. And if you go back and listen to our David Bowie episode, uh, you'll know that Heathen was kind of like a seminal moment for David Bowie, where he kind of reclaimed his sound and his, his iconic status. And, uh, so Robert Smith was, 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 very inspired by this moment of seeing this David Bowie show uh, because he said that it really just made sense. It made sense like using a newer record to kind of harken back to the older stuff. So he set out to do a similar thing with The Cure and uh, that was this show. And the show was released on DVD and then eventually released on Blu-ray and and it's just incredible. And I bought it because I wanted to see the band play Disintegration from front to back. Um, you know, I was like, oh, that, that's, that's perfect. That's It's worth me buying this DVD just to see them play this. But, you know... I, it, it felt wrong to just like fast forward <laughs> to disintegration and then only watch that. So I just, you know, popped in the discs and press play. And, um, and that's when I got the record. That's when I got it. You know, I was older. I was, I was more, um, you know, more musically savvy. Like I had a better idea of like what good music was and how to listen to music and what to listen for. And, and I, I, you know, I, I had been in a band, so I, you know, I, I understood songwriting a little bit better and, 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 and I don't know what it was, but it just all clicked. Maybe it was the fact that the song, that the albums, you know, was played right before disintegration and it's kind of ends up being like this opening act if you will for disintegration maybe that was it i don't really know but that's when i got the record and then i dug the album out and put it on again and i was like wow like i really get this now and i really like it and uh, it's a shame because now i think i think back to myself and i say you know like there's like 10 years of my life where i wasn't listening to this record (laughs) like you know what, what what was wrong with me but it is it is difficult to listen to and i think that you know there could be some some skipped on shuffle listeners who will you know who will be like oh like I should check this album out and they'll put it on and you know by by the end of the second song they'll be like this is too much like I can't I can't deal but if if that happens to you I urge you to to work your way through it because it really is pretty gratifying of a record and when you come out of it at the end you you feel I don't know you feel you feel like a weight has been kind of lifted off your shoulders in a way. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm the only one who's going to have that sort of uh, sort of reaction to it. But I think that the fact that you you know really like it, even though you haven't been a Cure fan, yeah. uh, I think that 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 kind of sends that message home. So uh, yeah, I feel like uh, that a strange day and pornography is is something that everyone should give a try to. And even if you come away with it and you say eh, I just couldn't get into it, I think I think it's really worth a shot. <laughs> 
you for listening to this episode of Skipped on Shuffle. Be sure to visit our webpage at skippedonshuffle.com where we have a blog and links to our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and also a YouTube page where we perform the songs that we discuss in these episodes. We are trying our best to keep Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free podcast. So if you are interested in helping to support that, please visit our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash skipped on shuffle. Any donations that come there could go straight to keeping uh, Skipped on Shuffle a ad-free experience and go straight to paying for the various costs that are associated with running this podcast.